Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today in the United States and perhaps in other places around the world. It today is called, by the world, Valentine's Day. And so I just wanted to discuss briefly about true, real love, according to the scripture, for just a moment, as I'm sure you're hearing perhaps in other messages this week, this past weekend at church, let's say, or various verses that might be shared today, many perhaps coming from this same chapter that I'd like to read to us. But God is love, we are told in the Bible. That's the essence of the nature, and everything about God is wrapped and enveloped in love even his judgments, even his commandments. Everything about God is always bathed and wrapped and brought to pass out of love. Some things that are hard, we may not understand that until we see more and more revelation from Scripture and learn and understand and get to know him. But everything concerning God is all about love. Love for us, love for our eternal destiny, love for our lives, and for all that we know and become in life. He has already laid out a plan for us that is a good plan, and He loves us enough to do what's needed in our lives to help us. So, I'd like for us today, in this message, I'd like to just discuss what I'm calling the loftiness of love. And what I mean by that is that love is elevated. Love is elevated by God in His Word to a very high and lofty place. It's the overarching theme, and we will see that as we read this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So here he's identifying in these first three verses part of this loftiness of love and why it's the most important thing and why it's elevated and how important it is. These other things are lesser in significance than the greatest, which is love. Verse 4, now he begins to define love, true love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So here he's given the definition of love, and then he speaks about these other things that are not as enduring as love is. He speaks of these gifts. If you'll recall, 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. In both of those chapters, Paul has told us and taught us much about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, explaining what they are, how they're to be used, what their purpose is, and their operation within the church body. But then he goes here and he talks about those things are going to cease. Now, let me clarify that. They have not ceased as of yet. These did not pass away with the disciples. And the proof of that is found when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2. In the end of Peter's sermon, then Peter is asked by these people that have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, what must we do to be saved? We want to be saved. We want to believe in Jesus Christ. What do we do? How can we be saved? And so Peter tells them exactly. He says, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and then he says, and you will receive this gift for this gift of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is available to you, to your children, and to as many as God will call, even afar off, in distance or in time, as many as God will call. That right there proves to us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's outpouring and anointing and all that happened on the day of Pentecost is still available to believers and to the church today. Those gifts have not ceased because God is still calling people. The Lord is still calling people to himself. The Lord is still saving people. So these things are still in operation. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 gives the parameters of scripture that are the boundaries and the fence within the operation, particularly publicly in the body, of how those things are to flow and how they are to operate. But they are still in existence, and they are still continuing, although the day will come when they will cease. And he tells us here exactly when that's going to be. In verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that will be when that which is perfect has come. There's only one that is perfect, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So until he comes, then is when those things will cease, and the partial understanding and the partial fulfillment will be done away with. He goes on and he talks about it like this. He uses it in a natural term. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. 
I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There's a level where those things are replaced with something far better. That's what he's saying here. He goes on in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly. We only see partially. That's why on the things that scripture is not emphatic on and dogmatic about, the things that are beyond doctrinal issues, all the doctrinal issues we must agree on. The scriptures are very clear about many things. Jesus is the son of the living God, period. He is the son of God come in the flesh, period. He is virgin born of the Virgin Mary, period. He did die on the cross as the Passover lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, period. He did rise from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures, period. And through faith in him, in his blood, God will save lost, guilty sinners every time they will sincerely call upon him in faith and God will impute to them the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and Jesus will write their name in the Lamb's book of life, period. These things are doctrinal issues that are true, in fact, and the scriptures are very emphatic about and true about, all in the New Testament and fulfilling all of the Old Testament, patterns, prophecies, types, and shadows. These things we can be sound about and we can be dogmatic about. But how is Revelation chapter 6 going to play out? We don't know yet. We're not there. So we can only assume, we can only make certain suppositions by going from the scriptures, looking and searching and digging in the scriptures to see how, for instance, the book of Revelation is going to play out. That's yet a future event. We cannot be dogmatic about that other than what the scriptures say. We cannot be dogmatic about anything beyond what the scriptures say. So Paul is making that clear here. He says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Then we will have the complete revelation. When we all get to heaven, when, when we are raptured, to be with the Lord when the Lord calls his bride home and we see him face to face. At that point, the fullness of the revelation will be available to all of us and all of our thoughts and, and ideas that were awry or that were maybe askew a little bit will all be straightened up and we'll be able to see it clearly at that point. Then we will see face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then I'll know just as I also am known. We'll understand it then. So now he comes down to verse 13 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And he says this verse, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these, beloved friend, is love. The greatest of everything he's taught in this chapter and in the two chapters that it connects with is love. Love is the overarching theme. Love is elevated. 
Love is the overarching theme in every operation of the gifts of the Spirit, in every communal act that we do, in every part of our public and corporate worship, in every action, love. And so to understand how to operate with love in all of these things, we have the actual definition of love, its characteristics, its traits given to us here in verse 4 through 8. And I call it the loftiness of love also for this reason, because these things prove to us that we are so far below this standard. And it's only because of God in us, and it's only because of the work of God in us that we can learn how to truly love the way that God loves. So let me read these verses again, and may we keep these thoughts in mind today and from this day forward, because according to God's Word, God is love, period, all the time, 24-7, at all times. God is love, everything about Him, bathed and wrapped in love. Verse 4, love suffers long. That means it puts up with a whole lot for a long time. Love is kind. It's compassionate. It's generous. It's kind. Love does not envy. It's not always looking at somebody else or wanting something else or wanting more or wanting what someone else has. Love does not parade itself. It's not boasting and strutting all over the place as if I'm somebody really special. It's not puffed up. It's not snobby nose with the nose in the air like, who do you think you are? I'm the holy one here. Love is not like that. Love does not behave rudely. It cares about people. It cares about the feelings of people, and it acts accordingly to their best and in their best interest. Love does not seek its own. In other words, it's not selfish and self-centered all the time to the expense of other people and their good. Love is not provoked. That means it's not easily angered. It doesn't just fly off the handle with every little thing. Love thinks no evil. It gives people and things and situations the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't jump to conclusions and to erroneous judgment calls. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It finds no pleasure in sin and in the sinful things of life or in the things of darkness. But rather, it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the things that are right and that are holy and that are just and that are pleasing in God's sight. It bears all things. In other words, it endures. It bears with people. It bears with situations. It endures. It believes all things, thinking the best, thinking the best about a situation, thinking the best about people, believing good instead of evil. It hopes all things, expecting good, anticipating good to come from every situation, from every relationship. It endures all things, bears up under, is constant, 
And love never fails. It never gives up. It never stops. It never runs out. Even through hurts and pains, love remains. Here again, I just remind you as I close, verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I pray that this message has been a blessing to you today and that God will bless you greatly. And I look forward to bringing more messages to you as the Lord leads. And I have series in mind for coming lessons as well. I'm looking forward to great things for as long as God would have me here. Thank you for listening and God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.